composting rentals at sublet.com is free. Call 877-4-RENT or visit sublet.com. Traffic and weather together in the eights every 10 minutes on News Radio 780 WBBM. Weather says partly to mostly sunny, hot, and humid for the remainder of the afternoon. I yeah, that's, that's doing something, Jeff. I, I think it's working. Yeah, ASL for everyone. Radio free ASL. We're, we're breaking in. We're getting in. ASL for the masses. Welcome to another episode of the Two Half Squads. It's January 16th, 2010. And this is episode 31. Of the Two Half Squads. Of the, yeah. <laughs> I said that already. Yeah. And I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm Dave, and this is the only podcast about the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. And it's dedicated 100, well, 99 and three quarters percent to Advanced Squad Leader. And with us today in the broadcast foxhole or whatever we're going to call it this Cellar week. or sangar. Cellar or sangar, yeah. Indentation, shell hole. Joining us today, wherever we are, is Rich Spilkey. Glad to have you back, Rich. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. It's uh, always fun to be on the program with you guys. Yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to have you. We had a lot of fun last episode. Dave and I did a little interview with Chaz Argent, which, I, which was a lot of fun. He's a nice guy. Yep. We should have him over. We should. Yeah, have him hop in the Jeep. So, well, we got a lot to cover this episode. So, let's get started right away, shall we? Let's get cracking. Let's get on with Listener Mail. Listener Mail. I'd actually uh, like to say that Andy had replied about the yin-yang symbol on the shoulder of the guy of the Hedgerow Hell cover... And it's the insignia of the 29th Infantry Division. The blue and gray swirls symbolize the men from the south and north which compose the division. And that explained that when we got a little confused doing that box art review segment. Thanks, mm-hmm. Andy. It's always nice to be educated. So I'm sure I'll forget that any minute. Uh, you wouldn't know what it's like to be educated, Jeff. No, I wouldn't know. I've read about it, though. <laughs> I've had it read to me. Uh, got an email here from Wit Richardson. Hey. Here are some photos from the Albany tourney earlier this month. It was a great tourney. Rich, you were there, right? Yes, I was at that you'll tournament. Have to, you'll have to tell us. He's, uh, Witt says that it was a great tourney. You can tell us later whether or not it was. Between 50 and 60 players, including five who hopped over the big pond to play, the best in the Northeast USA, well, and others. Uh, also, on your next podcast, I'd love to hear an interview with Vic Provost, the guy behind Dispatches from the Bunker, and a mention of the upcoming... Northeastern tournament in March, so we're mentioning that right now, and uh, I think we have a, we'll put a link on the show notes for if you want to know about that Northeast tournament. And the photos have already been posted on the photo box on the website. Yeah, on the website, so go look. All right, do you want me to read one of the go ones? Go ahead, yeah. Have me. So the first one that... Well, um, it's kind of an announcement. I was, uh, yeah, given here is not so much a, a uh, email, but it's more of a uh, convention announcement. It's, it's the Winter War, it's in Champaign, Illinois. So for those of you in the Midwest, it's the end of January, the 29th, 30th, and 31st. It's at the Hawthorne Suites in Champaign, Illinois again. And I myself have registered for this, and I've attended this tournament. I think this will be maybe my 
fourth or fifth in a row, and it's a good tournament. There's usually about about 30-ish players, and uh, I've enjoyed myself each time I've attended. And so I guess the main thing is for me to give the website probably where you can get all the information. It's uh, www.winterwar, one word, winterwar.org. And I've been on that website, and there's a little sheet you print out to to uh, register. And I can't remember the how much it costs. It's on the order of twenty-five or thirty dollars, as I recall. Yeah, and that's a tournament that has other gaming too, right? Oh, Lots that's a good point. Yeah, there's a and... ton of games going on there. Squad Leader is certainly in the minority. Uh, there's perhaps again, I'm speculating from memory, but there are at least a couple of hundred gamers there, and per, again, like maybe thirty of them are, are ASL players. So yeah, there's a lot of games going on there that I've never seen, and. You know, some that I have that I'm maybe not that familiar with because I'm a squad leader guy. But yeah, but yeah, it's a big gaming tournament. So is the squad leader situated so that people can see it and you have people walking through and checking it out and thinking, uh, hey, boy, I'd like to. Oh, well, let's go stand in line. We got to play the squad yeah, leader. They're yeah. all inside rooms. It, yeah, yes and yes and no. I mean, the no is it's really not part of the main giant gaming. Oh, it's not room. okay. So that's the no part. But the yes part is that. You could, you know, if you wanted to, go out of your way to come into the rooms. There's usually two of them where squad leaders being played if you were so inclined. Yeah. And, you know, check it out if you wanted to. Do you walk around the tournament and see other games you'd rather be playing? <laughs> no. Oh. I'm too busy playing squad leader usually, <laughs> but I do, I, do, I do look around a little bit. Yeah. Do you play any other games, Rich? I play a few other games. You mentioned I, before the uh, Civil War, or the oh, Rev that's War. right, yes, yes. Yeah, I like 1776. That's an old game from the 70s by Avalon Hill that mm-hmm. I enjoy playing once in a while, but not that many people know how to play that, but I like it. Yeah. And I play a few other, you know, like non-war games that are, you know, kind of strategic with with my family or with my friends once in a while. But, yeah. But mostly Squad Leader is, you know, takes up enough time. Now, it's been probably eight months or so since you were last here. Something like that? Yeah, I think we recorded uh, a uh, show about the rules tables, which we're going to talk a little bit more about later, about a year ago, about yeah. about last January, as I recall. And, and uh, after the show, we said we encourage you to go home and get your boys involved with Squad Leader. How's that going? Well, I probably uh, could have done better in that <laughs> score. <laughs> you know, again, like we talked about, I think, during the, not, not the, that show, but the show where you had the, the, what was that show called, the Forum or the... Yeah, the round, round table. table. The round discussion. table. Yeah. We talked about you know young people, and they are really are so enamored by the the computer games and the the three D visual effects. It's pretty hard to tear them away from that. It seems yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, now we keep trying. Interesting, you said that, Jeff, because um, t- every time I play at Timonen's house, which I've been going there on Thursdays often now, because his wife is taking classes, and um, his son sits and wa- loves. Just boom! I hit the door. He comes up to that table. I'm just setting up, and he's just sitting there watching, watching, and he'll ask questions. And we put up a scenario that's played on a, just a giant frozen lake for HP. Mm-hmm. And he's, well, what's that going to be? That's going to be a frozen lake. And he's like, cool. And and he and now he's always asking me, when can I play your son, my son Adam? Yeah. And so I've got to get them together. How old and is he? He yeah he is ten. Okay. Ten eleven, but he's fascinated with the counters, and he knows his dad does it. So maybe there's an admiration element to it. So, yeah. so I don't know. So I'm gonna yes, I'm gonna try them, and maybe Dave and I could play a small scenario where we can stop a lot and kind of teach them at the same time, or maybe we should just focus on teaching them. I'm sure the first time, yeah, or just myself teach both of them, and then eventually maybe they can play sitting side by side on us by us on a 
weeknight a very simple starter kit game or something. Yeah. You're making me feel bad, Dave. Cause well, I haven't son, done it yet. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, the fact that that boy, that man's son, wants to observe yeah. the game. Well, my, my My son's... Uh, Think it is the nerdiest thing on earth, and <laughs> well, they're older, right? Fourteen and eighteen, but even when they were ten, perhaps they might have felt that way. And you know, when I took my picture in Alaska, which yeah. you guys posted, uh, you know, a yeah, classic n- number photo of months yeah. ago. You know, they looked at, you know, their eyes rolled like, "Oh man, this is so nerdy! I can't believe he's doing this." <laughs> I mean, it was my wife that took the picture; they wouldn't do it. Yeah, well, they have some kind of problem. Yeah. Oh, we, Sorry, boys. We don't gotta, have as much control over the way our kids turn out as we would like. You've got to be secure in your nerdiness, man. Yeah. yeah celebrate yeah, I'm cool. It's, I'm cool. Geek is chic right now. Yeah. That's very true. Well, I'd like to say thanks to Christopher Dawson for sending in a lot of film review ideas. I've actually yeah. been taking them all from all you listeners, and we've compiled probably like 20 film titles. Yeah. They'll get us uh, set on film reviews for the next uh, 10 years. And Thomas sent us a letter all the way from the small Faroe Islands. Yeah. Which is between, it's north of Great Britain, between Iceland and Norway. We Googled it up in the maps and looked, and he's out there all by himself. So. Holy cow. Just giving you a shout out. Uh, you sent us a letter, and he's looking for some more training materials, tutorials, newbie do, etc. He has seen most of those that are out there, um, those Gifford tutorials, yeah. out, the, the few stuff we have online, and he wants more. So anybody out there, has seen these other tutorials, maybe some other people should start making some using that PowerPoint or whatever to, yeah. to get that out there. So. HD, maybe HD video. HD. be fascinating. Well, that's great, yeah. Uh, Rich has another letter. Yes, this is from uh, someone called uh, Al White from St. Louis. And he says, love your podcasts. I've learned a lot about the game from you guys. I would like more strategy-orientated episodes, and maybe I've just missed them. Haven't listened to all of them yet. Have you ever done one on smoke? If so, which one? If not, any chance you could focus on that topic? I think it's an important one. I've lost a lot of games because I didn't know how to lay smoke properly. And smoke is a great idea, and we will definitely get to that as a main theme for a show, and probably that night we should be smoking cigarettes and cigars while we do the I'm show. I'm sure we will, yeah. Right. I think that would only enhance the uh, knowledge that's transferred by yeah. doing that. <laughs> and actually, Rich Spilkey himself here has mentioned more strategy. So um, I think Jeff and I are heavy on the entertainment end, but I do believe the strategy's <laughs> in there, and Jeff and I had talked about this, Yeah. that when we talked about guns, we talked about looking for deli- uh, deliberate immobilization shots against via, um, um, underbelly hits, various things t- you, know, you, you could use, but... It might be good to focus more of a show on a strategy session. Yeah. So and we, and pick a scenario. Of, maybe pick some scenarios. Maybe classic scenarios and talk about strategies involved in playing those scenarios. With would those help, weapons would help for that it. scenario. Yeah. 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 At least at least for the first game turn or something where right. you like in this case if he's talking about emphasizing smoke, a scenario where you know on the first turn you want to be using smoke and that yeah. might be uh, have a lot helpful of way. smoke capability on your on your pieces counters. Yeah. Yes. Great idea. Good idea. Uh, I just had that one. Do you have another one for me? Oh, well, I have another one because I keep most for myself. Yeah. Gentlemen, I just finished listening to episode 28. I've now finished, I've listened to the opening of the show about 10 times. Knowing the rarity of ASL piece parts and having a fine taste in Monty Python, I'm proud to say I peed myself a little. My only disappointment was the fact that the ASL store did not hire a bazooki player. Which yeah, and if you're intimately familiar one. with the Monty Python skit, the cheese shop, 
there's a bazooki player, a little bazooki band. I, th- I think it's pronounced bazooki band playing throughout um, most of the oh, skit. Oh, okay. That's what I Until didn't John get. Cleese finally u- loses his temper and tells them to shove it. But that, <laughs> that has been the all-time favorite um, opening bit, yeah. so for obvious reasons. And he says, your show has really encouraged me to get back into ASL. And I'm just amazed at how many people begin getting back in. So yeah. let's keep it going, yeah, gentlemen, great. from Jack. I've got one here. Or we just want to say thanks to Paul... Uh, Jashki for the donation and the nice email that he sent. It's just nice to know that everybody's out there and they're they're taking the time to write us and we we have been getting donations which we absolutely love. We've got um, some also some links to Amazon products on our website and if you buy the, something through those links we get a little money for that. Like somebody bought um, what did they buy the other day? Gung Ho. Big, big they one, bought yeah. Gung Ho through one of the links on our website and we got $4 for it. And we don't so, get them through the other links, though? No, just through the links through products on, sold on Amazon. Okay. So thanks, everybody. I have one from Tim uh, Klepasik, our friend and listener. Uh, WBZ had ran a feature about board games on their show, Worldview. And just so everyone knows, it was kind of interesting. It did mention ASL. It did? It mentioned on PBS Worldview. So you can search that and download that podcast. And we might be able to get a link up for that one. And another really neat link to YouTube was uh, an old SBI infomercial. Did you watch that, I Jeff? watched that, yeah. Was that classic? That was really cool. Did, did I send it to you, Rich? No, I don't think so. I wish I did. <laughs> I will yeah. send it to you. Um, it's this was probably an circa old... 1975, would you say, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Put out by SPI, the game company. Yeah. It was like filmed on the old 16-millimeter film like you show it in school. It was yeah. a SPI infomercial with this one narrator's voice. The idea of a strategy game is counters. Represent the pieces of the military equipment. And it shows little counters. And then players enjoy the strategy and being together. It was just it's so... A lot of guys in white short sleeve shirts with ties and pocket protectors uh, standing around tables and playing squad. And it, real life people playing. Yeah. Not squad leader, well, excuse me. But uh, SP, other SPI oh, games. Yeah, which yeah. they had. Uh, and so Danny, who sent games. me the link, has or us the link, has said, we need to do one for ASL. And boy, if I if I had a Saturday free, an infomercial, it, it, we should film it in like eight millimeter film on my old equipment. Oh, yeah. from junior from high school. We could, <laughs> and and do it. This really that, it would be, be funny, wouldn't it? But do we have to wear black those black squares over? We our do. Eyes? We'd have to. Yeah, we'd have yeah. to do all that stuff. Okay. So. I actually had to use a slide rule back in the day. So see if I can dig that out. If you want to, <laughs> oh yeah, as a prop in the film. No, we want to make it look modern and progressive. I think we should, if we're going to do an infomercial, let's film it in three D. Well. If, <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to be serious about Look it. Look how I would tall be... this stack of counters is. <laughs> <laughs> and then as it falls yeah. over, it comes toward the viewer <laughs> yeah. and they cringe. <laughs> and I think Rich has one more letter. Our yes, last I have letter. one here. This is from Douglas Pearson. I don't know where he's from. It says, hi, guys. Really enjoyed the show, the humor, the guests. And I thought Robin added a touch of class. Oh. Well, she'll be happy to know that. Anyone in addition to us would add a touch well, of class. Well, that's true, yes. And he goes on to say, uh, here is a little-known convention, PointCon, at West Point. Uh, PC, PointCon, is mostly miniatures with open gaming available. Miniatures is where I got my start in military gaming, leading up to Avalon Hill board gaming and ASL. There are quite a few ASL games being played. The cadets are a great group of guys. The big plus is going to the West Point Museum and seeing things like Goring's uniform and baton. 
I know you are in Chicago and it would be tough to come to PointCon, but check out the website. Uh, it's a site could could use a lot of work. PointCon.org, and check out the few photos. And that's from Douglas Pearson again. Yeah, so there's an there's an ad for a new. Uh, I've never heard of that convention. So squad leader players out there can check it out and get to meet some fellows. We'll put a link up for that. Yeah, and they actually have Gehring's uniform. That's what it says. Wow, from World War Two. My uh, youngest son. Thought they had a dry cleaned. Um, <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. Up there all the years. Anyway, my youngest son, kind of a small tangent, has actually perhaps expressed a mild interest in attending West Point at his young uh, age of 14 and thinking about his future life. Wow. And so I would like to take him to West Point and visit there, and maybe I could visit the museum that he refers to here if we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Just oh, that'd a little, be fun. little sidebar. Yeah, we'll go with you. Let's all go. Field trip. Well, I guess, is that it for listener mail? I think so. Rich, why don't you tell us a little about the New York tournament? We, you, uh, we read a little email from you a couple of shows ago. Yeah, uh, the uh, Albany tournament was yeah. in early December. I myself have never been to that tournament before. It's the New York championship, New York State championship, mm-hmm. they call it. And I don't think I've ever even traveled that far for a tournament before. I've gone to uh, ASLOC in Columbus a couple of times, so perhaps that was the farthest I had gone previous. But I did go to this tournament, and it was excellent. It really was well run. There were some great, great players. You know, you mentioned the overseas players earlier yeah. in the show, and of course, you know, you're not going to come from overseas if you're not a pretty good player. And but you know, the American players were also excellent. It, there were 54 players, I recall, and you know, the the level of competition was as as heavy as I've seen, or as challenging as I've seen. I was very impressed, mm-hmm. and they did a great job running it. The uh, you know, the communications about what the scenarios were and the balances that were to be used were well communicated. I thought they did a great job. You know, Now, of all the tournaments that run, what possessed you to pick the Albany tournament to drive to or to get to? Well, I, actually, I flew, and, you know, I guess it was because I'd heard it was good, you know, one, <laughs> but I did have a lot of uh, frequent flyer miles on Southwest Airlines. Oh, I was going to say, boy, were your arms tired. Exactly. <laughs> and sure enough... Uh, Southwest flies here from Chicago from Midway Airport to uh, Albany, one of the towns they fly to. So oh, okay. I, I guess I was, you know, kind of blessed that I had some uh, air uh, air miles to cash in. So that's perhaps a big part of my decision was to save money that way. Yeah, but no, I was, I'm glad I went. It was it was excellent. I compliment the the tournament uh, directors, and they they did fine fine job. I really have no complaints. And was it a typical tournament like uh, game on Friday? Three on Saturday, two on Sunday, like that? It was very similar to the uh, ASL Open, but uh, I guess specifically I think they had two on Friday. And they did something a little different that actually I liked. It was five rounds total. Two on Friday, two on Saturday, not three on Saturday, mm. and one on one on Sunday. Oh, that's and, nice. And, you know, I'm, I'm more used to the ASL Open here in Chicago where it's 1-3-1, one, one, and the three on Saturday can't be that long because, you know, you got to get three games in in one day. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that this started midday Friday, which is just like what the ASL Open does with two, but I like that they had two on Saturday because they were kind of meteor scenarios, and you can get two meaty scenarios in if you start at, you know, 8 or 9 a.m. Yeah, yeah, and have time to go have dinner. Yes. So I, you know, I compliment that way of doing it. I thought it was great, and... Maybe I should mention it to you know Dave Goldman, who runs the ASL Open here in Chicago, and mm-hmm. 
see what his thoughts are about that. It's still a five-round tournament. Well, he'll probably listen to the show, I'm sure. Yeah. And you went with a couple of other Chicago players? Yes, I was roommates with uh, Rich Adamovic, and he also flew in. And uh, Bob Bendis took the Amtrak train to get there. Oh, really? To save a couple of bucks. And he uh, came in. Did he win or did he come in second? I think he came in second. He was in the championship game, and he came in second place. Wow. And he uh, he's just such a fantastic player. We've talked about him. Yeah, yeah he came in first here last year in yeah. Yeah, Chicago. He's won a lot of first places and been in championship rounds many many times he's uh, i think i beat him once like you know like 11 years yeah, ago yeah you had said that i think it was and, and which I, surprised I, me yeah i didn't realize how excited i should have been yeah at <laughs> when, the time. when that happened because <laughs> he's beaten me like 10 or 11 times straight since then or something like that and so uh yeah he's a fantastic player he just knows how to visualize how to cause the events in advance that create the victory for his side. He just knows how to do it. Yeah. Whether he's on offense or defense. Anyway, he's a great player. Yeah. We'll have to get you him know, on and it's probably true. And find out how he does that. And I, cause I know I'm often, even at setup going, uh, I don't know what to do with these, you know? Yeah. And he probably knows. And then halfway through a game, I'll go suddenly, Oh, if I do this, this will be brilliant. And he probably thinks of that right away. Right? That's probably, yeah. probably the difference. Yeah. I think of it a little too late. Oh, this would be brilliant. And then I fall short a turn or something. And, right. You know, that may be the difference. I don't know. Yeah. I remember one time um, on another one of his victories over me. At the end, we were, of course, talking about the scenario and this and that. And he said, well, he was on the attack. I was on defense. He goes, well, Rich, you know, you might have considered setting up this open-topped half-track in the woods to use its IFE firepower against my infantry coming this way. And I'm like, man, what a great idea. But you never think about putting an open-topped half-track in the woods. At least I don't. As a fire base, right? Yes, and it had 24 firepower, and point-blank would have been, you know, obviously huge. And he he. Why, why in the woods, this. you know? Or, or you... Well, because the, the, the infantry that were attacking were going to kind of have to come through this woods, and so they'd have a point-blank shot at 36 firepower. You know, plus one for the woods. Oh, right. Oh, back in the woods. Interior woods? Yes. So, like, no mortars could get it. Well, n- nothing could get it. <laughs> and it could fire tons of firepower against anything that, you know, got adjacent to it. Never would have thought of yeah. that. Well, neither would have I, and that's why I lost. Yeah. He tells <laughs> you me can come up against that thing. <laughs> yeah. But you know now. I know now. Yeah. And we talked about that, too, the other day offline, Jeff. Uh, There's a know, strategy tip for you, everybody, from Bob Bendis. That's right. Yeah, I can't claim credit for that one. That was his. But, you know, Jeff and I were talking offline about, you know, ways to win or how does one win more often or improve one's skills to increase the likelihood of winning. And my response to Jeff was, you play and you lose to other people. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm there. <laughs> I got, I'm on the right track. But you have to remember... What it was that caused you to lose, so you can use it against your enemies oh, next time. I have a short-term memory problem. I yeah, I think that is the key. We have to start filming everything I yeah, do. Yeah, Dave's right. You got to remember what uh, yeah. what they did. You know, and I'm going to add in now, and it's starting to become a roundtable discussion. But driving here today, I was just thinking, and I don't know what got me thinking. It's probably I had to drop off my son at Timonens, and he's watching him right now. So we better talk faster, everybody. Yeah, yeah. pick him up, and. I was thinking probably about his son wanting to play and thinking about, you know, just play for fun. And that was occupying my brain today. And I think maybe I'm, maybe too, I'm a little stressed or something. Like, you know, just, just play for fun again and not worry about, the, you know, every little rule, and especially for new players. Yeah. I thought we should reiterate because on this show we do get a little intense sometimes and have these conversations about, oh, 
we wish we were great and you know yeah. but really it's it's just it's supposed it's, to be it's fun. a game yeah it's a game. Uh, and it's, it's great to play the game for to kill and to go for the tournaments and and to be fanatically learning and and, and loving it but it's it's also okay to play once a, a month uh, for fun and you know maybe twice a month Maybe or is that too much? No, too much okay. fun. That's too much fun in one month. <laughs> well, but yeah. you know what I mean? We don't stress over right. every yeah. little rule and think, oh, yeah, I, I did it wrong. I also recommend, you know, just... uh, in, in light of your comment, I agree, finding a scenario that you're interested in. You're interested in that theater. You're interested I thought that was really good advice weapon. you gave me last week. Yeah. You know, like, uh, for example, let's say you wanted to learn about demolition charges and for some reason you wanted to focus in on that. You find a scenario that has those then you don't got to kill yourself with all the other rules like oba and you know anti-tank rifles or Mol- molotov cocktails just find one that has demo charges in it focus on that if that's you know piquing your interest that week and that is fun that that reinforces your fun thing because you're doing something that you think is cool and you could focus on and you don't yeah. have to stop and look up some rules and go yeah. okay i'm rolling my eyes now you know and then build build that way too right yeah great great all right well, good. Well, I, you know what? I, you know what time it is? What time is it, Jeff? It's time for what's? Uh oh, wait a minute. It's time for <laughs> what's in the box. What time did I say it was? Time for what's in the box. The what? The box. The box? What the, box? The box right here in front of us. Did you bring a box? Oh, you have a box. Let me tell you the story of this box. It's a box with a story. It's a beautiful product that arrived on my door Christmas morning. Santa. Well, it was actually the United States Postal Service, which I didn't think worked Christmas Day. I had no idea. And a truck pulled up, and a man came to the door, rang the bell. We all thought, oh, it must be a neighbor bringing cookies. Yeah. And better than cookies... This package was wrapped in brown paper. The box got a little battered a little on the way over because the brown paper wasn't very solid of protection, but and it was from Cambodia. Whoa. So it's a game on Cambodian, and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's idea. not. I can't believe I think U.S. the U.S. Postal Service delivers on Christmas, yeah. only if it's really important. We were apparently. all shocked in the family. Yeah. Wow, and I think the rest of the family was really disappointed when I opened it up. It was an ASL product, but oh. I was doubly oh, you excited. Must have been on giddy. Christmas Day, you could have called me at home, and I would have been fired up with you. Yeah, I should have. You know, look what I'm I got. As giddy as a schoolboy. Now, the, I knew once I opened it, I knew the connection with Cambodia because this product from Le Franc Tire. That's my best French. Yeah, that's as that's as good as it gets. They folks. produce part of their stuff somewhere, maybe in France or somewhere else, and then other parts are published in Cambodia because Alex Key at the convention a year ago said, you know, I'm, I just got these in. He had to put them together himself, parts with boxes. Yeah. And so this product's about a year old, but it is new to us here because yeah. they sent us a, a copy sent to us by the publishers, and we want to thank you tremendously for that. And we're excited, and we hope that um, everyone will enjoy listening to this product review. And the name of the game is... St. Nazaire. Operation Chariot. And who wants the honor of actually opening the box? Well, I really wanted that to be my honor because I tried to open the box when I first got here, and Dave <laughs> insisted that I not. Yeah, how are, are your fingers still hurting there? Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm anxious to open this box. I'm yeah. actually eager. 
It has to be spontaneous. So here we go. All right, here we go. We're opening the box. All right, I'm a little nervous. I've never opened up a now, box. Oh, oh can I stop? Can I stop? Can stop? Again? <laughs> again? He's stopping me again. A very quick box art review. <laughs> oh. It is very, very quick. No background music. We see the triangle pyramid shape of these British commandos. Very aggressive looking on the front. We see lots of flaming wreckage in the back. It's fairly nice. And I think, I think do you agree, this background stuff is just... What do you call this, Jeff? The background... Modeling, it great. Just right, bluish, nice, yeah. nice color coordination. Mm-hmm. Sharp looking box. Yeah, very nice looking. Le Frank Terrier, very sharp. All I right, can't, yeah. I can't take it anymore, Dave. I Here gotta open go. it. Here you go. You gotta open it, Rich. All right, Rich has the box. All right, it does. Oh, look wait nice. a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm not gonna let you do that again. That's oh. way too painful. All right, there's some bubble wrap and there's some uh, taped product, or you know, in the bubble wrap, taped product. It's looking good. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to open it without something sharp, though. I should do a uh, oh something. Char- I've got I something. Need, char- I might need a scissors. I got. And I have my. Uh, you know what's unique about that box? There's no lid. I mean, it opens from the side, and you sure. I don't want to, slide uh, the product out. I don't so. want to damage anything. I'll let you do the honors. Yes, I know. No, no, this is a very valuable donation sent for review. I normally, I'm not allowed to play with knives. This is an honor. So you've been keeping this since Christmas without opening it. Yes. There you go. All right, here we go. I think I should do a review of backs of the box. Back of the box. You can because the back of the box. Maybe you want to read some from it. Yeah, while while Rich is playing with the bubble wrap. Oh wait, it's not like Frank Latour. It's not. It's not. Oh yes, it is. No, it's not. Oh, it's not. It's not Operation Chariot. They use the box to send us the other components, their other products. (laughs) So. Wow. They tricked us. How about? But we're still really excited. Well, this this is an ASL product. It. Is. It it's says from the seller, pack four. There's a little mouse on the front cover on a fortified seller counter. I've never seen this before. This is totally new to me. I'm going totally off the cuff. I've never seen this before. No, we haven't. No, and we have, uh, there's an accounting firm here to verify that. So if anybody wants to see. <laughs> so it's not Anderson, see. is there's it? A yeah. bunch of really no, good no, looking, uh, there's a bunch of really nice looking scenarios in here that are very colorful. There's a... Uh, an envelope with, I, I presume, counters inside of it. Why don't I hand this well, to here. you? Sure, I'll hand Jeff a couple of scenarios yeah. to look okay. at, and we'll. So, course, what is the what's the title? Since of this we thought it was actually pack? a game with component. We, did. we didn't we didn't preview these scenarios. What, be this nice is to, what live radio is like from folks. the seller pack four. Yeah, quality products still. Yeah, I'm opening up the counters here as you guys examine the scenarios. This. Okay. This is, um, Jeff, this is, look at the dates on your scenario. Holy cow, look at this. This is World War One. This is 19, this is June 29th, 1919. Oh, World War One. Yes, these are World War One scenarios. No. All right. Yeah. Where, where do they take place, all of them? Uh, let's see, Siberia. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Siberia, Siberia. I'm seeing a trend here, Siberia. Minor Siberia. This is... The Russian Civil War. Cool. And from the seller pack four. I like the Russian Civil War. I'm really? actually excited. Really excited. Are you really? Yes. Look at this. Communist forces. Red Russians. The counters you use are the Italians, treated as Russians. You use Bolshevik partisans. You use Russian and partisan counters to beat the Bolsheviks. This is a great idea. Social Revolutionary Party used the French counters, treated as partisans. 
with little special rules here. Use the DCs as elite and stuff like that to make each added into each one of these nationalities. There's the this must be the white Russians. Yeah, use Axis Minor counters. Because the Russian Civil War is this great opportunity where you have all these other nationalities involved in this. And I know this from playing a miniatures game, and uh, in which which one of my friends played, and and he said, "Oh, Dave, it was really neat." You know, he was playing like some Polish force that was rising up against the Russians of all types, and then the whites were against the Reds, and the and the British and American get involved here. In fact, going down the row here. There's the Czech Legion, used the Allied minor counters. The U.S. Army, did you know it was involved in the Russian Civil War? I didn't know that, but I see that on the scenario oh, I have here. Oh, um, jump to it. I'm kind yeah. of excited. Wait, don't jump yet. The White Russians, um, Commissar Exchange is not applicable. They may deploy on setup. They may use Japanese machine guns. There's a special role for their shock troops inside this packet. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, this one is uh, It's called Never Say Navaz. And this is the Bolshevik partisans against the Americans. And this was in action again in Siberia uh, at the Novistakia mines in Siberia. President Wilson in July 1918 dispatched the U.S. 27th and 31st Infantry Regiments, regiments from Manila to Vladivostok. The U.S. infantry's primary purpose was to assist the Czech Legion's escape across the Ru- uh, across Russia while maintaining a strict non-intervention stance in the Russian Civil War. Wow, that's amazing. And it's really, this is officially called a rising star falling cross. The Russian Civil War in Manchuria, Siberia, and Outer Mongolia. That's why they're all stationed out there. There's also Red Korean forces here that use German counters, Magyars that use Hungarian counters. Now, this is very unique in my ASL uh, wow. view. I've never seen scenarios with this uh, in this theater in these years. This is new to me. Who are the Magyars? Are those like gypsies? They they were. Uh, <laughs> I, don't ask me why I think that. But they were like a Chinese type in maybe Mongolia or were they? Siberia. Okay. They may have crossed boundaries. I don't. I don't know. I know in in, in ancient miniatures they they are an army. Yeah. Here's okay. a scenario from 1911 in Manchuria. Oh wow! Which features uh, Mongolian units versus uh, units called the Loyal Manchu Guard or the Northern Northern Chinese Army. You know, I've never I've never played a scenario <laughs> with that in there before. Get alone from 1911. So, very unique. Look at this one. Russian purges. Oh, yes. I don't know why I love this so yeah. much. <laughs> Look, he says, Kitty really, is a school... Oh, I, I already said that. Kitty is a schoolboy. I think studying so Russian history in this era would be really fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's in Siberia, 1920. After elimination of the White Guardist threat in February, a coalition of government was formed between the two Democratic parties. I mean, again, there's so much going on and so much chaos... And it uses the Italians as the Red Russians, right? And the Bolshevik People's Army is in here also. Wow. Really neat. Designed by Robert Hammond. Robert Hammond. Uh, he's he designed them? A, he's designed this, the few that I have here. This sounds like somebody we should have on the show. There's we should call. Yeah, yeah, right. Maybe next show talk about the development of this. There's some uh, again. We could, some, we could there's a couple him. pages of rules, some background. He's written an invitation. Uh, um, how he got into this. Welcome to Shangri La. I've always been interested in obscure battles and engagements in the four corners of the world. American expeditions to Russia during the Russian Civil War are such examples. 
and talks about the, how this came to be developed. Fantastic! I'm just, I love this. But this there, is there's something. a bunch of scenarios in the second packet here. Now, okay, are, now you have another. Okay, so well, are we done with? Are we done okay. with this? Um, the, What's the, the from, the cell, again? So, from, from the, the seller, seller pack okay. four. So they have okay. several of these packs out. I'm not on the website, Jeff. I don't know if you want to look at it. Yeah, I'll look it up. Rising Star Falling Cross. Are we done with this one? It has rules for ice sangars. It has ice sangars. Wow. Ice sangars. Ice sangars. <laughs> yeah. Of course, wagon sledges, some extra rules for those. I'll have to make a rules table on uh, ice, <laughs> ice sangars. sangars. Well, <laughs> you're keeping yours to official products, though, aren't you, Rich? Of course. And Mongolian attributes, <laughs> the Mongolians. Oh, this is just sweet. Jeff, can I play with it first? Oh, yes, of course. It showed up you're on your say, door. Let's play some together, and I'll remind you, we haven't finished our Italian pack action yeah. pack and we still haven't played a zombie scenario oh, yet no it's very and stressful that, we were really excited about the zombies too yeah so there's so much exciting what, stuff what, going what's on what's a zombie scenario oh we didn't hear that show yet uh, i'm not sure we got a donation from uh some nice Game, gamers armory uh was the store that donated i can't remember i have to look it up i will while rich is talking uh, but they sent us a pack of scenarios based on the zombie wars. And you use the uh, Japanese counters as the zombies, Rich, and they like always just keep coming you know, methodically yeah. at you. And, and if someone else appears in, in their vision, they'll turn and mob toward that counter. Okay, so they're like constantly berserk or something. Yeah, the yeah. sniper counters used as a random zombie determinator. Right. So and so zombies can spawn or uh you can turn <laughs> live troops into zombies. Really? So you've got to be careful if they fail their morale checks. They come I, back. I wonder if John yeah. Hill's rolling over. <laughs> but he's not dead yet. But <laughs> we're hoping to interview John Hill soon. Anyway. We're going to have to ask about this. Yeah. this, this what does he think of zombie AS uh, squad leader games yeah. going on? Well, yeah, I must tell you the inside of this second magazine. Okay, well can you read the what is it that's yeah, the I, official? I guess it's just it just says Lefranc Terreur, just yep. like you said before. So that's their normal mag. I know I do know they have a they put out some games, and they put out these magazines. Um, so that's their normal issue. What number is that at the bottom? Let's see. Number 12, I suppose. Okay. And I must tell you, again, I haven't looked at this at all until, you know, moments ago. The quality of the write-ups and, yes. the, and, the, and the photography. and, and Graphics. This, I mean, this is color absolutely the best stuff. I've ever seen. Yeah. It's well, well done. The way they show the counters, the way they describe the... The rules that you're supposed to use for these various scenarios, it's really well done. There's a board in this second booklet. Board title on it's it? It's called LFT2. Oh, Lefranc Tourer. And presumably two. there must be an LFT1 that I don't know where that is. But these scenarios are more, in, they appear to be all in China in the late 40s. So the Chinese Civil War, I suppose, is what's being replicated here. Mm-hmm. Like 1948, 1949, a lot oh, yeah. of battles that way. Oh, this 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 scenario is an SASL, so it's a solitaire mission. Oh. You don't come by those a lot if you play solitaire ASL. I'll play that one. Look at these. Graphics. Shanghai, China, 1937. Hey, you want to play that one so, with me, Dave? That <laughs> solitaire one. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these graphics. Yeah, I know. I, I have seen their products a year ago um, at the at the convention, all laid out there. They're beautiful. I actually bought one. I have uh, one of these issues. I don't know which one it was, and I haven't got to it yet. Um, but boy, this has gotten me excited. I to wish get I could. It. There's you just know, too much to do. I wish There's I could show this. Uh, obviously, with a podcast, you can't show what we're looking at here. But it really does look excellent. The way they uh, have the counter shown, and they're showing the different strategies that one might deploy in a scenario. It's really well done. I think uh, I've yeah, got an so idea. So this is all the first. This would basically then is this safe to assume? 
that these are about the Japanese. No, this is the. I am, I'm on the uh, their website where they talk about this latest issue, Le Franc Tireur 12. This issue focuses on the PTO, mostly on the war between China and Japan, as well as on seaborne assaults. As usual, 10 scenarios printed on hard oh. paper and featuring action with the Japanese. Uh, Japanese, Chinese, but also U.S. units are included. And it includes two solitaire ASL missions. As we mentioned. Yeah, which is, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I've never seen one, never played one. Look forward to that. And the years seem to span a whole slew, 1908 to 1949, Taiwan Strait. Mostly regarding, uh, focusing on seaborne assaults. Yes, but this, the forces involved here on Scenario 145, Bears of Kinmen, appear to be the Republic of China and the People's Liberation Army. So this is also the revolution, Mao's revolution. Oh, that I like that too, almost as much as the Russian. Maybe I'm a communist at heart. Do you think? Uh, I think maybe you just love revolution. I, maybe and I love revolution. War. revolution. I do. Civil war. Right. Look at this. Couple scenarios from the revolution. You can break out those Chinese counters and those partisans for the red Chinese. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, the amount of work put into this is quite impressive. Yeah, very. Isn't it? Aren't these people all nuts? Beautiful stuff. <laughs> and. You know how much hard it is just for us to get a get a little look. Here's a map on the back and side flap, Rich, for map for scenario HS16 Sims Ridge. It's just a ridge surrounded by forest. Yeah, this and LFT board too looks to be like a level four and other lower level hill hex. Yeah, a gradual incline up to level four. It's a nice looking board. And there's an article on Gavutu Tanimbogo, but it's a miniature version. Oh, look, they built a board, a three-dimensional miniatures board, but they're playing with squad leader counters on it. Mm. <laughs> oh. is, that now, allowed, is that allowed? Now, as, well, as a miniatures player, I I should tell them, I have the whole Japanese army made up in 15 millimeter on little counters, painted and everything, ready to actually ready to be sold. So contact me. I've been selling off my 15s and converting to 20 millimeter World War II figures. Look at this. They actually made a little board. Oh, cool. Wow. Stuff going on out there. Too bad Pitkovich doesn't update his site. He could put in some all this stuff. <laughs> you hear that, Mark? <laughs> yeah, no pictures of this miniature. He's probably at it right now. This is incredible. This is neat. It's on hexes, but they've built up the levels, and they have the little trees, palm tree stuck in the, and the little piers are all in there. God, it's fa- it looks like you know what it looks like. It looks like a. A Swiss colony or a Hickory Farms catalog. It's everything looks delicious. So <laughs> no, talking I think about the uh, miniature board, uh, this is I think analogous to what you're talking about. I I know there's a guy named Jeff DeVries, and he comes to the ASL Open most years. And I've also seen him at Oktoberfest or ASLOC. He lives in Michigan, and he makes. He's the only one I know of. There might be others, but he's the only one I know of who makes three-dimensional ASL scenario boards. Yeah. And he does a fantastic job. I don't know how many of these he's made. He's probably made, I mean, I've seen dozens of them myself from him. I'm sure he's made more than I'm aware of. And he allowed uh, Robert Banizek and I at the last ASLOC to use one of his three-dimensional boards that he had set up for a giant scenario that Robert and I agreed to play at ASLOC. 
and it was six boards. It's it's called Operation Rossel Sprung was the scenario we played, which is a huge scenario with six boards, and it was all three dimensional with the hills. Yeah, he cuts them out of the foam core. Yes, right? and he does so. a great job, and and you know he brought this six board. I mean, it was almost as big as this table, Jeff. That's how big this thing was, and he brought it in his truck all the way f- from Michigan for us to use, and you know. We were glad to use it, and we oh, were glad yeah. that he brought it, you know, for us to use. But it really, it does make the scenario a little bit more fun. You, you still have to use the regular boards for, like, line-of-sight checks with the thread. Oh, right, yes. But, actually, it's kind of actually better, because you know how difficult it is to measure line-of-sight when you got to move the counters out of the way. Yes. Well, in this case, you don't have to do that. You leave the counters on the big board, and then oh, you, have, right. you have blank, empty boards with which to measure line-of-sight when, yes. when you need to do that. Yeah. So, I really compliment Jeff, uh, but it must take a ton of effort to make those. And this, this, the first, I'm still in shock. You want me to slap you around a little? Please. Are you shocked or stunned? I'm stunned. Or are you immobilized? Yes. <laughs> I Which think are you? His brain is malfunctioning. See, this is, why, this is okay. why I think it's good to open it live on the air, because I'm totally, thoroughly surprised. This is a topic I utterly love. And look, look at this. Look at these, Rich. Do you realize wait, what wait, these wait, are? Wait, 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 wait. Surprise oh. does not an ASL condition. <laughs> Correct. That I'm aware of. Is thrilled? No. <laughs> um, but they made counters, too, right? We, we, the counter sheet got lost on the table here. And look, it came with the first magazine. So that was the seller one of the Russian Civil War. Do oh, you realize okay. what these are, Rich? Look. Yes, I was going to say. I'm glad you re-brought it up here. Uh, there's uh, their turret markers, which, you know, the, the game Turret-covered arc. But they have, yeah, the turret-covered arc and the CE button up. But they're the colors... Of the various units, which I which I think is pretty cool. You mean of the nationalities, right? That's what I meant. Like like brown for the Russian, or yeah. yellow for the Japanese, yeah. and I mean, uh, you know tan for the British. I'm I'm easily amused, I guess. Yeah. Because Why do you need that? Well, it it would look cooler on the board instead oh. of the generic white. Yeah. So you have your American tank have a turret covered arc marker that is actually matches the tank color. I see. I just it's an aesthetic. I yeah, do I like those. Okay. You know, you're right. You don't other, need it. Jeff. Other colors. No, I'll, give you, I'll uh, give you that. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to you know, digress again. Another counter that I really wish, I know that this, these exist and they came in some pack that I don't own, but I mean, I wish they were official, are prisoner counters for leaders and prisoner counters for crews. You know, they got, oh, they got yes. the full squad, half right. squad. Yeah. And I know that I've seen these counters because they came in somebody's pack, and I'm sorry, I don't know who to give credit to because I've seen other players have them, but I don't have them. Yeah. And, I re- and that's something we really need. I mean, I agree with Dave that... These are cool. These turret markers with the nationality colors are cool. But I, I guess if I had to vote, I'd, I'd prefer to have the prisoner. Yes. Counter. So have you seen those? The like the eight negative one prisoner no, leader counter. No, and, but yeah, that's a great idea too. Yeah. And like yeah. a crew is worth more points than a half squad. Yeah. Even though it's represented by a half squad, you know, officially, I guess. Yeah. With the, right. And so to keep track of that on a side record is you know a little yeah. bit of a hassle. Why not? At this point, with the MMP coming out with more and more product. With Chaz in charge now, I think we're going to see a lot. Yeah. I'll bet some of these action packs, why not throw in these counter sheets that we've been talking about? Yeah. Just start making Stuff them and throwing missing. them all in as extras. You know, sure. you don't need these, but here, make your action pack a little sweeter. You know, Here you go. Um, and also there's some Takzanka four-horse pulled sledges with a machine gun on them wow. on a wagon and for that Russian Civil War game and some other little... Variety of little little vehicles, the ice sangar counters and hasty roadblocks, which maybe they're easier to remove. Probably, I'm just guessing. Yeah. Ice. Sangar. Well, that was pretty 
pretty impressive. Did you want to add any of this, Jeff? With, there's articles. Well, you wouldn't let it out of your hands. No, sorry. What well, was the second one? The first, yeah, well, I've actually touched a part. Here's a counter <laughs> call, <laughs> called Hasty Roadblock. Yeah. Hasty Roadblock. Easier little, to remove, right? I presume it is. Unbelievable. And the uh, magazine, the Frank Terror issue, was it 12? Oh, my gosh. This has is amazing. This articles, is amazing. of course, on landings, landing craft, to help you play all those scenarios. Now, this is priced, uh, just so people know, this is priced uh, at 33 euros, this um, they are the magazine. Bit, they're a little bit on the steep side, but... How much is that in American uh, U.S.? Uh, it's just well, more. I'm, I'm, That's all yeah. I know. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you asked that. Are you going to calculate up. that? I don't know. Do they have yeah, us, I don't do see, they have I, us linked? I don't see a conversion. No, they don't have us linked. I don't see a conversion on here, but I'm going to say it, this is 80 pages, this magazine. So uh, 99% of it is in English. I'm not finding the 1% that isn't in English. And you know what? For those people that are that really like the printed word, this smells really good. This magazine <laughs> you know, smells I was going to really say that, good. but I, uh, I didn't. But you're right. It does smell like a really... Talk about a full review. It, smell, it even smells good. Definitely put a link on there. we got to... Buy all these products and, and play oh, all these. Oh, that's yeah. No, I yeah, don't think so. Stuff. It's going to be it'd be an investment because they have so many issues. Well, twelve issues out, and each one looks to be of the same quality. But yeah, all right, I'll buy Fantastic. them. You buy the other. Oh, and some are out of print. Number nine, number eight, number seven. Not just out of print, but definitely out of print. <laughs> so, well, that does it for our what's in the box. That was a pretty exciting one. And now a word from our sponsor. Jeff, it's done. Gotta get these done. Gotta get these done. Hey, Jeff. Jeff, what I'm are you in, doing? I'm in here. What are you doing in here? I'm clipping counters. Using what? My nail clippers, Dave. I'm clipping counters. Jeff, Jeff, we've got to get to the tournament. People are expecting I know, us. I know. I know. Our, our fan base is there, Dave, Jeff. Dave, I oh, cannot oh. go to the tournament. With ragged corners on my counters. Leave but, me alone. i got to clip these. But all, but all two of our listeners are there waiting uh, to I've hear I've only got 400 Jeff. counters to go. Give me. Can you come back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Here, 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 here. No, it won't take here, eight here. hours. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I'm, Remember, the C4 corner cutter. Oh, the C4 corner cutter. I totally forgot. How could you have forgotten? Here, here it is. Take the C4, Jeff. I can cut hundreds of counters. Hundreds of counters. Line them up right in there. All right. Hold that blade. All right. Ready? Go! Wow! Load in another five! There you go! This is amazing! Ten more! Oh my gosh! Another ten! Can anything be easier? This is fantastic! This is a miracle! How did I ever get by without a C4 corner cutter? You ready to go to the tournament? Dave, I'm ready to go! Let's go! Don't let ragged corners ruin your next squad leader tournament. Get a C4 corner cutter from Counterculture. When you order, mention the two half squads, and they'll toss a dollar into the shipper. Yep, a buck in the box just for mentioning the two half squads. And there's no time limit on this offer. Something else, the C4 has gone retail, so check with your local hobby or game store to see if they have it. Speed up the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. Get the C4 corner cutter. Less time clipping means more time gaming. And a buck in the box, too. For more info, just click the link on our show site. And I think now it's time to uh, let Rich tell us about one of the reasons why he's here, obviously, other than the fact that he's a good guy. 
What brings you here, Rich? Well, about a year ago, almost exactly, we talked about the rules tables that mm-hmm. I had made. And again, just to refresh folks' memory that maybe didn't listen or don't remember, and that is, you know, the purpose of these tables that I've made is really, you know, perhaps twofold. One is these are common things or fairly common things that happen pretty regularly, at least in the scenarios that I play. Naturally, I'm biased, you know, in the scenarios that I play, and so these are things that I think are common based on the folks that I play scenarios against. And so I try to make the tables such that they, they're pretty comprehensive where they cover these situations that occur. I try to make them kind of easy to reference that, you know, hey, this happened and therefore you should do this. Because sometimes, you know, it's very cumbersome to look up the rules and flip through the various rule books, especially when it comes to, th- to things like where there's something in Chapter A and there's something in Chapter C and there's something in Chapter D yeah. all pertaining to the same situation. So, again, I've done the research in advance, hopefully correctly. I do get advice from others. I don't just do these in a vacuum. I do email them to some of my colleagues, and they send back comments of this or that. Mm -hmm. So I think they're in pretty good shape. And last time we covered the first uh, eight tables, um, which actually goes through Table 7 because I have a 6A and a 6B. Right. So those we perhaps don't need to talk about because they were covered on your program from January of 2009. And so I put them all in an Excel, uh, an Excel file, mm-hmm. and I've emailed them to you. And I understand you're going to PDF them. Is that right? Yeah, I turn them into a one PDF, okay. single PDF. And so you know, I make them available for anyone that wants to use them. I'd be I'd be proud if you you know found them helpful as a fellow ASL player. That's great. If you have comments of how we can make them better, I'm open to that. And so, do you want me to just talk about the last half of them here, starting with Table Eight? Yeah, let's dig in with Eight. Yep. All right. So again. There's a lot here. We're obviously not going to cover them in great detail. But if one examines Table 8, Table 8 is all about pillboxes or bunkers. And the rules are pretty clear with respect to what the person in the pillbox can do. There's really not that much debate about that, and I didn't spend much time on that in this table. But what can you do against the person in the pillbox if you're opposed by Mm -hmm. the units in the pillbox? And so, as you can see, I've got all the different kinds of weapons that you might have on the left-hand side in the left-hand column, and then where you're shooting that weapon from, either from the covered arc of the pillbox, from the non-covered arc of the pillbox is the second column, or from within the same hex as hmm. the pillbox. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting to, to note, you know, again, if you really get into the rules, which you know are described here, if you're in the hex that the pillbox is in, you are considered adjacent capital letters adjacent, meaning you can advance into the, you know, to close combat against the units that are in the pillbox if you're in the same hex. The, uh, but, you're, but officially you're also in the non-covered arc of the pillbox if you're in the same hex. So, but, but as far as shooting these different weapons are concerned, I distinguish between the non-covered arc and within the same hex. So that's the purpose of this table. I'm sure we don't want to go through it row by row, but, uh, you know, I'll point out maybe a couple of highlights. Yeah. So, for example, in the very first row, which I think is, you know, common knowledge for those who have played with, with uh, units and, and pillboxes, you know, you kind of want to shoot AP at pillboxes because then you don't have to apply the TEM. So even though AP doesn't have much of an HE equivalency, it's usually like one or two firepower, depending upon the caliber, at least it has a zero TEM. Yeah, it's going to penetrate the concrete. Think of it as penetrating the concrete like a, a little bullet, you know, yeah. and ricocheting around inside as opposed to high explosives. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I think, a well-known, and it's you know shown here on the rules table. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, all the other weapons that I could think of 
canister, you know, FFE, flamethrowers, you name it. You know, we, we, we don't need to go through it line by line. What I did spend quite a bit of time on that took quite a bit of research, and I posted a number of questions on the Game Squad forum to try to clarify things, is the third to last line where you're shooting white phosphorus, direct fire white phosphorus, including when you fire white phosphorus with a 1945 bazooka, which the Americans you know, often have against mm. Japanese All and right. pillboxes. So again, I don't want to kill people to death with the details here, but you know, generally speaking, the normal morale check that a white phosphorus uh, attack causes with direct fire is not applicable unless a critical hit is achieved. That's indicated here on this chart. Um, but if you're shooting from the non-covered arc, even if you get a critical hit, it's not. Uh, you can't cause a normal morale check to the units. Ah. Now, that doesn't mean you can't put white phosphorus there and hinder their fire out. Right. But it doesn't cause a normal morale check. So, anyway, I took a lot of research, a lot of Q&A. But anyway, the purpose of this, again, is to help the person who's playing a pillbox scenario, especially the attacker who's against the units in the pillbox, what can I do with the weapons I have, and to very quickly be able to look at what the situation is and decide how to apply the various modifiers and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it helps you identify your best attack quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With this, I get a zero turn effect modifier. This works better uh, along the... Bi- now, I noticed from within the same hex as a pillbox, when you shoot the white phosphorus, the bazooka counts. Right. So normally you can't even shoot white phosphorus in your own hex because it's an area target type. And so that's what I meant by the NA there. Yeah. You know, however, the white phosphorus from a Baz, a Baz can shoot into its own okay. hex. Yeah. So you, and if you recall, if you uh, on the back of the counter, it shows an 11 to hit. So hypothetically, if you were in your own hex with an American bazooka and the Japanese was in the pillbox in, the pillbox in that hex, and of course the number is 6, the depletion number is 6, so if one rolled 6 or less... Mm-hmm. You would get white phosphorus in that hex. You yourself would have to take the normal morale check as the American. Ah, okay. Because it's in your hex. That's right. The Japanese player, assuming it was against Japanese, in the pillbox would not have to take the normal morale check unless it was a critical hit. And so the footnotes explain that. That's probably the most complicated situation on this whole chart. Right. But But it it took me months to, you know, kind of drill that out. So anyway, wow. that's the purpose of this. It's, yeah. it's to help with pillbox scenarios very quickly, get up to speed with respect to you know, whatever weapons might be available to the attacker. Excellent. Now before we go on, Jeff, did you want to address the letter from Paul in Winnipeg who said he was going to do something with the Spilky charts from a year ago? Oh, yeah. Um, he had well, said he was going to... Yeah, he wrote and he... He wrote and was very appreciative for the tables, but he said he wanted to convert them to electronic format. And actually what he did was uh, he converted them to a Windows help file format. So if you want to have these tables on your laptop computer or whatever kind of Windows computer you have, he's converted them into a Windows help file. Oh, okay. So that's would be a new thing. All right. And maybe he'll do the same thing with this new version. Right. Yeah, he said he would. Thank you, Paul. And I've tried that. I've tried it out, and it's pretty cool. Okay, now that's probably the hardest table I have to describe to hear to you guys today. Uh, The rest of them are actually, I think, easier. Uh, table nine. Hey, can I, I have a uh, oh, question. Go it ahead. seems to me, let's see, if memory serves, which often it doesn't, there are some pillboxes that are, uh, maybe it's island island fortifications, island bunkers, that have cellars in them. 
or basements. Yeah? I'm not no. sure. Like in Tarawa, on Blood Reef Tarawa. No. I believe the island command bunker has oh. a lower level. The the specific yes that's um the headquarters building right right it's like a building but it's like a pillbox right right that's yeah that's a special only to that yeah terrain so you, do you have to add a lot do you have to add a, a column here <laughs> I guess I'll have to add another footnote there Jeff. when playing Tarawa in that one building it's kind of a building pillbox yeah. okay I'll add that to my future list of yeah uh, so table uh, eight revision two is <laughs> okay so table nine Anyways. again I think table nine needed to happen and i think i've even seen another individual on the internet that independently created something else that's not unlike what i call table nine anyway it's a three by three table on the left hand side you see that you know i got three situations all three of them require the rolling of a two snake eyes oh what's the table this is a table about the this is table nine of critical hits Okay, critical what, what hits. Is, what is a the critical outcomes hit? that cause a critical hit to occur. That's right. Okay. And so you have three situations on the left-hand column where, mm-hmm. in all three of them, again, you're rolling a two. But the first one is you're rolling a two when an original die roll less than one was required. In other words, it was almost impossible to hit it. Yes. You know, you're just taking a kind of a desperation shot. The second situation is, again, you're rolling a two, but you needed exactly a two for the hit to occur. Mm-hmm. And then the third situation is, again, you're rolling a two, but you would have at least had a hit with a three or higher. So those are the three distinguishing situations. Oh, okay. Then across the top, you've got three other situations. You're, you're on the vehicle target type, you're on the infantry target type, mm-hmm. or you're on the area target type. So you cross-reference your target type with your situation of what kind of a two die roll you had. Yeah. And then you look in the box, and it tells you, if you did or did get a critical hit or not, or if there's a sub- subsequent die roll required that determines if you get a critical hit or not. Right. And, you know, and the rules talk about improbable hits, and they talk about, uh, you know, subsequent die rolls and when you need them and when you don't. And this is just a, a quick way to summarize those things in a tabular format. Yeah. Which, the game really shouldn't be this complicated. <laughs> A critical hit. Are you taking a vote? Kind of be the same thing all Can the I time. Can I vote on that too? However, now there are people who have this memorized. I think Bob Holmstrom's pretty close to where he can go. Oh well, you needed that, so therefore you roll random. Boom, boom. You know, so in some way he's made it logical to his brain, or he's smarter. Yeah. Uh, and other people like me, we need this beautiful chart. Oh, yeah, yeah. This definitely. is great. Now I don't have to sweat anymore. I need the chart. And I wrote the chart. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't. I don't have it memorized. I use. I, I, I've used all of these charts. Uh, these these late, this last half that I'm describing today, you know, obviously were made in the last year since yeah. the last show, and I've used all of them at least a couple of times in a couple of situations. And in fact, I guess I shouldn't mention this person's name, but when I was in Albany, uh, I really want to use the person's name. He's a well-known squad leader player, but I, I won't use his name because perhaps he'd be mad. We'll call him Frank. All yeah. right, we'll call him Frank. Frank was sitting beside me. Not, I was not playing against Frank, but he was playing uh, an opponent right beside me. And he was asking us a question about a particular rule. And I think, again, it's chart, what I call chart chart 4. So, again, we covered this chart last time. But this has to do with uh, smoke dispensers and smoke grenades from a vehicle. Uh-huh. And his question was, hey, if I move my AFV and then I stop, do I still have to add the... Um, you know, plus two with a smoke mortar. And sure enough, that situation is addressed on chart four. Let me see which one it is. Um, 
it's situation one. The FE has moved and or is in motion. So even if you stop, if you've moved this turn into a new hex, you do have to add plus two according to this chart. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that is correct, and it's been I've had this chart for years, and I believe that's right. And this individual was asking this question. So I said, hey, I got this chart, and yeah, I'm telling you, according to this chart, you do have to add that plus two. And I didn't tell him I wrote the chart. Yeah. I just said, I have this chart. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I don't know where that crap comes from. I don't go for it. You know, whatever. I mean, he was very critical. Oh, yeah. it, wasn't, it was going against what he wanted <laughs> to have happen. He went to the tournament director to get a rules uh, interpretation, and the tournament director did imply, or did not imply, he did say he, that you do got to add the plus two. So he grumbled, grumble, in a grumbling, grumble, grumbling? Grumbling. Uh, grumbled. Grumbled. He, he, in a reluctant way, yes. he accepted he the rule. He snarled. But anyway, it, it cracked me up a little bit because he was like, oh, I don't know where that crap comes from. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't realize that I had you know, spent years writing these things. Right. And and I, and I you got to understand, I suppose, some of these things might have mistakes, especially when they're not official products. But, um, man, use them. Use them. And then yeah. you find a mistake, you tell the person who wrote it. Let's let's get smart. Let's yeah. start using these things. Exactly. So yeah. this, is a, this is a critical hit table. I um, I use it, you know, well, I don't roll twos as often as I like, but when my <laughs> opponents roll twos, I, I look at this to see if they got a critical hit. <laughs> All right. I like these charts because it's a portable. I, I actually leave charts around the house. I leave. There's some in the bedroom. There's some in my <laughs> den. There's charts in the bathroom upstairs. And that way, you know, rather than carrying around the whole rule book, if I just have five minutes, I, maybe I'm waiting for my wife to get ready to go out somewhere or, you know, whatever it may be, I can grab a chart and just sit there and peruse through it and read it and understand it. It's actually easier. And it's teaching ways, something, And it's too. teaching me. I'm, pr- it, I'm, I'm proud of you, Jeff. Yeah, I'm proud that you well. that use my charts. Yeah. All right, the next chart, again. In the might, bathroom. You might think table 10 is... Uh, you know, like, you know, no duh. You know, maybe you might think this is, like, too simple. But for me... No, it's not, Rich. I should take this happens church. all the time. Honestly, I was just playtesting Dave, and I had to move an Aerosan through an Aerosan, and the new vehicle's in. Hacapella. Hacapella. I just said, Dave, there's a cost for this that's extra, but I'm not going to use all my movement points. Can we just forget what it is? <laughs> not even bother looking it, it up. He's like, just, yeah, just I go. As long, you're, as long as you're not going to use all your movement points, I'm sure it will, it'll be covered yeah, somewhere. So, so table 10 is, is, is as the title indicates, you know, this happens in almost every scenario when there's vehicles involved. You're moving vehicles through vehicles or vehicles through wrecks, whether they be friendly or, or uh, enemy. And so, again, on the left-hand side, you got every kind of basic vehicle, whether it's a buttoned-up, fully-tracked unit or a buttoned-up, half-tracked unit. you got a closed, uh, a crew-exposed, fully-tracked, crew-exposed, half-tracked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to, you know, wheeled truck vehicles. And you're moving into uh, various situations. Open ground, very common. A road, I'll call that a normal road situation. Mm-hmm. Um and you're using the road movement rate, or you're moving along the road and you're not using the road movement rate. Mm, mm-hmm. And then finally, there's something here I call other road, and I define what other road means. These are the sunken roads, or the elevated roads, or the bridges, or the woods road, where, there, where, oh. it's, where it's worse. So an other road. And I define what other road means in the footnote. Okay. Because there's less room to maneuver around it, so you're going right. to more yeah. to go. And it says it. that the penalties are doubled in okay. a, right. what Sounds I'm calling familiar. an other road here. Yeah. So, for example, let's just take a classic example that happens all the time. You've got a, the second row here. You've got a crew-exposed, fully-tracked AFE. So you're cruising along the road at one-half movement point, and I'm going to be in the, uh, the third column here, like a normal, normal road. 
all right? So you are choosing to keep using the road movement rate. You want to keep getting that speed. So according to the rules, you do have to double your the penalty. Well, the penalty is one for the extra vehicle, yeah. but you have to double it because it's a road, regular right. road. Yeah. So that's why it's showing two and a half. You're paying half for the road, and you're paying two for the penalty for a total of two and a half. But now when you leave that hex, presumably along a road again, then you only pay one half to get to the next, to get to the next road hex. hex. So yeah. it's a total of three. So you're going to go into the hex at two and a half, and then you're going to say another one half to go along to the next road hex. Oh, that's what that's trying to say. So a yeah. total of three. Now, if we go right to the left of that, if you choose not to use the road rate with this CE, fully tracked AFE, well, then you only have to pay two movement factors, one for the penalty for having a wreck there, and then one for the open ground, you know, that you're because you're not taking the road now. But then when you go to the next hex, you have to pay a full one because you're not using the road rate. So again, you have to pay three. Two and a half and a oh. half is the same thing as two plus one. So three is three. Yeah, so right. you're not gaining anything either way. Right. But at least this delineates that, and there may be reasons why you might want to do it one way or the other. You go beyond the points, right. So anyway, you're paying three either way. Now the other road... So when you, oh, if, you're, if you're go going through a, a hex, you can elect, and you're going at the road rate, and you get to a hex that has a rack in it. Okay. You can elect to to go down to the non-road rate while going through that hex, then you can go back up into road rate as you continue on down the road? That's correct. Okay. But now look at what, like, but like for a truck, if you go down to the bottom of the chart, yeah. you can see it's much more painful for a truck to use open ground. Right. Yes. And, you know, they're better off, you know, using the road rate, paying that two and a half, yeah. and then the one half. Because otherwise they got to pay five plus four. You see that down in the bottom? Yes. Mm-hmm. So like a truck would definitely not want to do that, but if they did... They pay nine so they, points total. Yeah, they pay nine. Whereas if they do the road rate, then they're going to pay three. You got is it. That right? Okay. So that's what this chart is. The, the wow, numbers of brackets are what the penalty is. So then, if you have the other road, you know what I'm calling other road, the bridge road or the yeah. sunken lane road or the woods road, whatever. Then again, I'm going to be in the CE fully tracked row again. Yeah. Then it's the same thing, except now it's four and a half because you have to double the double. <laughs> so there's four penalty points because. It's double because it's road, and it's double again because it's one of these other road types. So you're paying four and a half to get into the hex, and then again a half to get out, assuming you're moving along a road and you're still CE. So, uh, again, your total there would be five. I never, you know, it's stuff like this in the rules that keeps me from reading the rules more, or or from being correct. Because I would just say, if I was playing somebody, I'd just say, I don't know. It's too well, hard. Let's just again, call it such. Well, and such, I agree. You know. and, people, and people do what, what Dave was saying a minute ago. They often are like, well, you know, I know it's a lot it's of moving points. points. I can't remember. Let's yeah. just say right. it's three yeah. going here. Yeah. So again, yeah. hopefully this speeds things up. And again, the reason I put the penalty in brackets, I did that on purpose. Uh, you know, one to illustrate the rule, I guess, for people's understanding. Yeah. But also, when you have more than one rack or more than one vehicle, that's the part that keeps getting doubled. Is oh, the part I see. In brackets. So if you had two wrecks. Or, or two vehicles you were going into a hex with, if that were to happen, you just double the bracket Double number. the bracket number. And the footnotes indicate that. And there's okay. other footnotes that say if it's a burning rack, then you got the smoke penalty on top of that, the plus yes. one smoke penalty. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. So the purpose of this table is it's virtually every kind of vehicle type that we have. I guess I don't have motorcycles on here, but okay, forgive me. But it's uh, pretty close mm-hmm. to most of the things you'll see mm-hmm. and most of the you know conditions that you would encounter in a common game.
Wonderful. Can you add motorcycles? <laughs> well, I'll add it to my list along with the yeah. other suggestion we had. The, uh, uh, the basement. Oh, yeah, the basement. One, of the, <laughs> one special terrain type. <laughs> you guys are tough. Tough crowd. <laughs> yeah. We're tough never crowd. satisfied. What about bicycles? Are those on here? No. Yeah, I guess I missed that one, too. Yeah. Right. But it's the most common ones. Okay, so yeah, the next table, table correct, 11. Though. 11. Again, you know, a lot of people already know this really well. Uh, some of the better players, you know, kind of maybe almost even have this memorized. But again, for me, putting it in tabular form or in a table form helps me get it. So there's, you know, we all know there's two kinds of residual firepower. There's the regular, ordinary residual firepower caused by when you shoot into a hex and you leave residual. Then you got the fire lane residual firepower, of course, which is a machine gun, and it applies firepower, the column to the left of what it normally uses, and I think that's well known. And so I've got it broken up between the machine gun fire lane type and the ordinary residual firepower type. And then I have, I guess, a couple other uh, distinctions here of how you apply the various hindrances. So I have what we call soft hindrances, and those are actually in the index, and mm-hmm. defined, and yep. so I've, I've repeated those definitions down below. Mm-hmm. And there's these things called hard hindrances, and they are treated differently, especially with the fire lane they're treated differently, with respect to whether they reduce the amount of firepower or whether they're actual die roll modifiers. So, I, so whether they're soft or hard, what we're talking about here is, are they in between the firer and the target, or are they actually in the target hex itself? Okay. And so that's what the distinction here is on this table. And so if one looks at this, one sees, if we just like, for example, look at the regular ordinary residual firepower, any type of hindrance, hard or soft, between the target and the firer will reduce the firepower of the residual firepower by one column to the left for each one of those. So if I'm firing four firepower into a hex, I normally would leave two residual. But if it's going through two hexes of hindrance, it would knock that residual down to nothing. Right. All right. Okay. Now, the effects within the target ho- location, now that's different. You know, again, if we read the box there, it says, all non-hexide, TEM, smoke, etc., etc., of the target location apply to the residual firepower attack. So, let's say, again, I'm firing four firepower into a hex. There's no hindrances between me and the firing target. But let's say there's smoke in... The target, the target hex itself. Uh-huh. That will not reduce the residual firepower. There's still two. But if a unit moves in to that two firepower residual with smoke, they will get the plus two benefit of the smoke, assuming it's plus two smoke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you play that right, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you will get that. Now, here's a real interesting one. And I even underler- underline the word even. Mm-hmm. See how I underlined the word even down yep. there at the bottom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very important. I mean, I myself learned this. Maybe other people know it better than me, but... This was a real eye-opener for me. Again, I talk, we talked about that great player, Bob Bendis. Bob Bendis uh, schooled me on this one. He moved an infantry unit into a wooden building, non-assault movement, and I fired at it, and I can't remember how much firepower, but I left residual in the hex. Then he proceeded to move an infantry unit and bypass around that wooden building. The back side? The front side. The front side. Yeah, the, in my line of sight. And, and I said, well, I think there was four residual in the hex, I don't recall, but let's say there was four. And I said, okay, Bob, that guy has to take a four minus two, moving in the open. Four firepower minus two. Yeah. No. That unit gets the benefit of the plus two building, even though it's not even going into the building. 
And I double checked this. And even if it moves on the front side of the building. That's right. So it was a, it, it, so it was a four plus one altogether is what it was. Instead of a four minus two, it was a four plus one because it was plus That's two for the huge wooden building yeah. and a minus one on a salt movement. Yeah. So it was plus one. But but it's a you know three die roll Dif- difference yeah. from minus two to plus one. Oh, yeah. I'm like Bob, you're so wrong. There's no way it could be that way. I, yeah. I read the rule. I read it. I read it. I asked other people. He's right. So I got it in here. It's true. Wow. I may not like it. But that's the way it is. Yeah. So uh, again, then with fire lanes, again, fire lanes, you got to treat soft and hard hindrances different. This that is described here, and again, this is just a handy thing for when you got a fire lane or a residual fire power question. You find your situation, and hopefully, this answers the question. So that's uh, table eleven. Excellent. Good one. All right, table twelve. I'm actually kind of proud of table twelve. I avoided it for years, and I finally uh, <laughs> buckled down and decided to do it. There was an article written. I got to give, give, give credit, credit to uh, Perry Cock here. Perry Cock wrote a, a general uh, magazine article, and I've got it listed here. When bad things happen to good weapons, he wrote that in the General Magazine, Volume Thirty, Number Five. I had clipped out that article years and years ago. This was I don't even know the year. It was early '90s, I'll say, or mid '90s. I clipped it out, I had it in my file of, you know, ASL things, and I knew it was there, and and I reread it, you know, recently, the last six months or so, and I said, you know what, this really requires a table, because there's situations that, you know, again, like you're saying, Dave, you just can't quite remember. Yes. There's situations where... Oh, and I remember reading this article, actually, too. It's a, Yeah, it's a good article, and it inspired me to make this table. I mean, we all know that when you do, like, intensive fire or sustained fire, your breakdown number goes down by two. I think... You know, most ASL players know that. Yeah, right. We know that if you intensify, your breakdown number goes down by two. That's another common situation. And I think we also know that if you do both of those things at the same time, yeah, that's that something. it's a, you know a, another incremental penalty on top of the original penalty. But what really starts to get confusing, at least for me, is like when you have ammo shortage and those things going on at the same time. Hmm. Or when you have one of those guns that have the circled breakdown number. Yeah. And when you place low ammo low on ammo. them or yeah. not, or what? You know, God forbid you have a, a, one of those guns with a circled breakdown number and you have an ammunition shortage going on at the same time. This table is trying to basically just make it simple and say, look, what is your situation? Are you firing a support weapon or a gun? Do you have ammunition shortage going on in your scenario or don't you? Are you intensive firing or aren't you? <laughs> And it basically tells you what your breakdown number, or in some cases what your X number is, in that situation should you roll that number. So let's let's do an example like we like we sometimes do. Let me find one. So let's say uh, let's go into just a simple one. Let's say we have a support weapon on the top table. This is probably the easiest one. Support weapon, no ammunition shortage. If you're an inexperienced firer. Your breakdown 12 number becomes a B11, but if you roll a 12, it's gone. It's X'd. You know, it's eliminated. Yeah. That's the number after the comma? Right. That's what the X means. The X means you're Oh, gone. yeah. It's an X. Unrepairable. Un- 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 yeah, sure, sure. I know that. So if you're inexperienced, those numbers go down by one. Now, if you're sustained firing or, or captured use, one or the other, then it goes down by two. So then it's a B10X12. 
And then if you continue going down the chart, if you're doing things, combining things together, inexperienced use and captured or sustained fire at the same time, it gets worse, and so on and so on. So th this, again, maybe this table doesn't have everything on Earth, but it's got to have 95% or higher of the most common situations. Yeah, I know it's the X numbers stay the same. That's right. And, and the, the B numbers, numbers keep getting worse get and worse, worse as you have bad things happen. Right, that is correct. What if you're inexperienced and you're shooting from the basement? I don't think the basement affects it. <laughs> no. The basement on Tarawa. <laughs> okay. In that bunker in Tarawa. I'll have have to add a special, building bunker. I'll have to add a, a corollary to the tables that have the base, basement bunker yeah. uh, <laughs> options. You know. Okay, so the next table is exactly the same thing, except that same support weapon now has ammunition shortage. shortage going on. Right. So things, oh, are, wow. things, so things are worse because yeah. you've got ammunition shortage happening. So, again, those two top tables are all about support weapons with or without ammo shortage. Mm -hmm. All right? The next set is guns. You know, not support weapons, but, you know, vehicular main armaments or guns. So the first one is if you don't have ammunition shortage going on. And then the next final table is the same thing, except you do have ammunition shortage in effect. And so the fun part is looking at the circled breakdown numbers yeah the good old low ammo boy every every game i have to look that up yeah so let's do an example let's say i'm i'm, a, I'm in the vehicular main armament or gun section with no ammunition shortage and i got a b10 circle 10 that's where i am b circle 10 all right so you know there's nothing when i say no other conditions i mean you know you're not intensive firing you're not doing anything you know right out of the ordinary so in that case you place a low ammo okay counter. la low ammo if you get a 10 that's what the la means if you get a 12 you, you broke it, mm -hmm. but it's repairable. And there is no X number in that case. There is no X number at that point in time. Now, once let's say you rolled a 10. Wait, this is oh, the to hit, the hit number? Yeah, like hey, you're rolling to hit. If you get a 10, you place a low ammo marker, or an 11. If you get a 12, it's broken down like it normally would be. Yeah, you know, that's machine, correct. You know, the, the weapon broke. Yeah. But there is no X number in that situation. Yeah. you're not intensive firing, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. Yeah, so if you roll it, you then place the, the, the counter. Yeah. Okay. That's correct. So now, let's say you did roll a 10 or 11 in that case. So now you place the low ammo marker. So now the weapon has a low ammo marker on it. Now you scoot over to the far right-hand side where it says low ammo counter placed. And your normal shot. And again, you're going to do a normal shot. Now your breakdown number has become a 9. It's lowered by 1. Right? And you're Xing it on a 10. Oh, yeah, and the B number becomes an X number. That's, that's what's right. tricky about the rule because you're lowering it by you're lowering the B number by one, but the X number is decreasing by two. That's right. That's why I always thought, well, just make it one each <laughs> so it's easier to remember. Yeah. You know? So in that case, if you roll a nine now, it's regular broken, but if you get a ten, it's the a, gun is completely yeah. unrepairable and, and malfunctioned. So that's an example the complicated part, I mean, I did double-check this with the article and with some other experts, including Perry Cock himself, when I saw him at, uh, at ASLOC uh, in October. The huh. yellow section, again, I don't want to make it too complicated here, but the yellow section is the most complicated section on this table. So when you print this chart, please print it in color. But what's happening there is, and again, the footnote indicates, these are situations where it's possible to roll a number in which you place a low ammo counter and you break down the weapon, both. So, for example, if you are uh, intensive firing, uh, again, I'll be in the B circle 10 column like we were before. If you're intensive firing this weapon, if you roll, say, an 11, 
you place a low ammo marker, or a 10 for that matter, you place a low ammo marker, and you break the weapon down. Two things happen. Oh, right. They're cum- Okay. Right, so everything in yellow is where, like... A 10 is both two. an LA and, and a B. Yeah. You got it. So everything in yellow is when two things happen, or could potentially happen. So this, again, these are, you know, it's not that uncommon to have ammunition shortage in a scenario. It's not that uncommon to intensify or something. It's not that uncommon to have a circled breakdown number on a weapon in a scenario. And to me, it was driving me crazy to have to keep looking this stuff up. You know, I'd always forget. Right. Right. So I read the article that inspired me to make the table. Wow. And here we have it. And now, what's the dotted lines? Oh, that's just... The dotted defined. lines are, I guess what I'm trying to say there is I'm trying to draw a little picture. If you have an ammunition shortage going on, and you have a B-10 weapon or gun, a just regular B-10, you treat it as a B-circled 9. Okay. And so. then similarly on the far right hand... Right. Side so you're stating right. it and you're showing it by illustration. Yeah, you got Visual, it visually. Good, you got it. Great. Right, so that is table twelve. Moving right along. I think these tables are too complicated. I'd, I, I'm going to write these out in paragraph form. You know, <laughs> without without bullet points. <laughs> yeah, without bullet points. Yeah. Without bullet points. Well, that's what the rule book already does. Oh, well, and it's interesting. <laughs> I've, I've got another guy. I'm trying to get into squad leader Tom Barkle. He's a miniatures player, and he's so he bought Starter Kit One. Mm-hmm. He okay. listens to the show, mm-hmm. and he sent me an email with a few que- rules questions, and then he said, so is, so is the regular rule book written like this, too, in this style? Because it's like in the middle of a sentence, it'll be a clarification in the yeah. middle of the sentence instead of after and things like that. I said, well, yeah, but we, we get used to it. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, do get, you used have to to get used to it. Oh. Yeah. Right, again, table 13, some people might say, well, no, duh. But to me, again, it's just quick to refresh my memory when I'm right in the middle of the heat of battle of a scenario, you know, with line of sight. So table 13 is about blind hexes. Mm. Well, yeah, and I know how to calculate these pretty quickly. Like you said, it's one of the few no-duh things that I actually know. But um, lots of my opponents don't, so they're always asking me. Yes. But then they're telling me, like, what they're thinking of shooting right. and where. So it's better for me to hand them this chart. Yeah, so this is, again, I meant this to be easy. So, for example, in the first row, you, as it indicates, you have a firer at level 2. And the target itself is at level zero, you know, right on the ground level. And, you know, all the obstacles in this top chart are a full level one obstacle, as the, as the table indicates. So you count the number of hexes from the firer to the level one obstacle, and then this tells you how many blind hexes there are beyond that so that you can see if you can see the target or not. Yeah. So, for example, if the obstacle is, say, 15 hexes from... The firer at level two, the level one obstacle is, you can see this shows that there's four blind hexes beyond it. And then the reason I have the three in brackets is if the level one obstacle that's causing the potential line of sight block is like a crest line, not a not a woods or not a building, but a crest line, it's always one less. Because it's one level uh, lower. Yeah, right, so that's what the three is. And again, the footnotes explain that. So, again, the higher you are, like if you're at level 3, obviously the number of blind hexes becomes one less in that same situation of, say, 15 hexes away to the obstacle, and so on and so forth. So I just used this chart the other day. I had an observer at level 4, a radio observer, an OBA observer, and, you know, I was looking to see what I might be able to see with it, and I I couldn't remember. I looked at this chart, and it helped me. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is good. The the second table is almost exactly the same thing, except now the the obstacle is a two-level obstacle. Ah. So naturally, you have to be at at least level three or higher to see anything beyond it, so I didn't bother with anything less than that. Right. 
And so this, again, is just a simple way to determine how many blind hexes. Yep, good and simple chart. That's great. And you have to trust it. You have to trust the chart, the table, because if you try to think about it logically or geometrically, I have a, I have a much harder time doing that. I think I just got it. Well, yeah. I, I was trying to think. Range. Well, let's see if I let me get out my protractor oh, and like actually try to physically draw, it. draw a line oh, aside, yeah. like in a miniatures game, yeah, exactly. and imagining that it's higher. Yeah. yeah. So trust the chart. Well, yeah, I mean, again, maybe it's not perfect geometry, but it's the rules. That's right. Yeah. All right, number fourteen again is a again a lot of people might say you know no duh, but again for me it was a handy reminder. This is all about guards and prisoners. Oh, right, yeah. And I've learned recently uh, how important it is to take prisoners and not invoke no quarter. I'm really starting to become a big fan of uh, of prisoners and, yeah. not, and not invoking no quarter. Yeah. Even though it's kind of a hassle to get it's out of the and prisoner and, counters, I'm starting to see... And they might run away, and you got to look up all these rules, but... I think it's, uh, it's but, paying off for me, at least yeah. in some scenarios I've been playing. So anyway, aside from that, this is just a very simple little chart saying, hey, the unit size of my guard is either greater than or equal to the unit size of the prisoners... Or it's less than the unit size of the prisoners. And then how does that affect the guard's firepower outside of the hex? Or how does it affect the guard's firepower when in close combat? And Jeff, I think you and I, in the scenario we played a few weeks back, you know, even used this chart. Yeah. Because we had a situation where we had prisoners and we had, uh, you know, I think, I think what happened was the guard size was greater than the guard itself. And so like this chart says, therefore they may not attack any other unit other than their prisoner, you know, and then only in close combat. So I moved my infantry unit to his unit, which had one of my prisoners, and, and he couldn't fire out of the hex because, you know, the prisoner size was greater than the size of his guard. And so, I mean, I don't know if you were surprised at that or you, know, yeah, you knew that. Yeah, oh, I was, yeah. But I refreshed your mind. You know, he wanted to fire at me with minus two fire, uh, die roll yeah, modifier. Right. And, and I, can, I think, still think it paid off for you somehow. I don't think I succeeded, but yeah. I was glad that I at least got to use my chart. But the, the, the close combat is different than the IFT firepower, so that's why we made the distinction. So that's what this table is. Nothing too fancy there. All right, now 15, table 15. This stuff happens all the time. I know that we all have had this happen. Anyone who's played squad leader for any amount of time knows that this stuff happens all the time. And we all kind of know about being locked in melee or that AFVs are kind of not really locked in melee, and we kind of sort of know that. But this is trying to describe all the situations where you have infantry and an enemy AFE after the first close combat phase. So, like, what do you do next? You know, there was close combat, nobody hurt anybody, now what? So you got, again, you got the friendly prep fire phase, you got the friendly movement phase, you got the friendly defensive fire phase, and you got the close combat phase. And then you got these three different situations. Either there's uh, a mobile but stopped AFE, or a mobile AFE that's still in motion, or you have an immobile AFE that's obviously stopped. If it's a mobile, it must be stopped. Mm -hmm. So then you simply look and see, hey, I'm the infantry guy, what can I do? Or, hey, I'm the AFE guy, what can I do? in these various phases. It gives you the options that you're allowed to do or not allowed to do. So if we pick the simplest example in the upper left-hand corner, you've got infantry versus a mobile AFE, but the AFE is stopped. So we're in the same hex. The close combat phase was behind us. Now we're in the, now we're in the prep fire phase. So now it depends upon whose prep fire phase it is. 
If it's the infantry's prep fire phase, it's very straightforward. It says infantry may do nothing in the prep fire phase. They're held in melee. They're in melee. Yeah. So that much to talk about there, and I think that's you know a fact. However, if it's the AFE's prep fire phase, they can go ahead and fire triple point blank fire machine guns, and or they can fire their main armament using case E within the location in the prep fire phase. They're allowed to do that if they wish. So it tells you what your option is. So again, it's every. You I know, like I'm not going to go through all of them. There's a number of them. Yeah. But it's every phase, and it's you know, it's not so much about the close combat that occurs. It's more about what happens afterwards. Yeah. Right? Wow. So that's this table. This happens to me. This happens all the time, and I can never remember. Yeah. What can I do, and what am I not allowed to do? I never remember. Like for example, if the AFE is in motion, and let's say I'm the infantry guy. So look at the situation too in the middle there. Yeah. In my movement phase is the infantry. I can leave. I'm not held in melee because the AFE is in motion. So I can get out of there. Mm-hmm. So, and that might be something yeah. you want to do. Yeah. But someone might say, well, no, you're locked in melee. Well, not if the no, AFE is in motion right? or not. Yeah. yeah. That's... So there you go. Excellent. So that's 15. Wow. Got, we got one more. Now this one is, is kind of fun to talk about. This is my last one. It's table 16. The... Uh, and there's been a lot of tables made on collateral attack flowcharts that I've seen on the Internet made by other people. And I kind of went in a little different direction here. This is not intended to be the most comprehensive every situation you can think of where a collateral attack happens. That wasn't my scope. My purpose here was, what are the most common collateral attack mm. situations that happen? At least as I define the most common from the scenarios I play. And this was actually drawn up in a bar at the Albany Airport just, you know, eight weeks ago or so oh. when uh, my colleague, Rich, Rich Domovic, we mentioned that went to the tournament with me in Albany. We were, we were waiting for airplanes to take off, and we sat in the bar, and we said, you know, let's talk about collateral attacks. We started whipping <laughs> through the rules. We started drawing it up by hand with a pencil. So and, you did the outline of the chart then? Yes, the we conditions did. And- yes, we did. And so it ended up looking, you know, uh, obviously nicer now than it did then. But this is just talking about, I'm kind of proud of this chart, because this really actually took more thought than I anticipated it would. So, for example, we're really making a, a distinguishing uh, decision here in the layout of the chart. First of all, we'll talk again. On the left-hand side, you got all the things that might happen to the AFE itself if it's being fired upon. It's destroyed, it's immobilized, it may be, the crew may become shocked, the crew may become stunned, whatever. And then the different ammunition types going along the top columns... You might, you know, it's perhaps being fired at by AP, armor-piercing, or with a machine gun, or with HE, or with area target type HE. These are the situations that are the most common, in my opinion. So, for example, if you look at the first column, vehicle target type with AP. Well, if you go down like four rows down, where it says if AFV crew becomes stunned, you cannot stun a crew with an AP shot. Because if you look at your AFE destruction table, you will see that stunning is not possible. Not applicable, yeah. But a machine gun, the second column, a machine gun cannot immobilize or shock it. A machine gun can stun it. If Again, looking at your AFE destruction table, we'll confirm that statement. So this is, again, and again, I, I would get confused so this, about this stuff. Yeah, it's a quick way to look and see, and it, like if you... Yeah, what you can do with different weapons versus... Right, so the hard part here was... Let's look at an example here. The hard part was... Let's see here. Actually, there were two hard parts. 
Yes. Let's look at you're firing a vehicle target type with high explosive. Let's say you really can't, let's say it's one of those big Tiger German tanks and you really can't harm it because the armor's too thick. But he's got his crew CE. So you, fa you fire on the, uh, on the uh, vehicle target type, HE. Now your to kill number with HE is, uh, like, you know, it depends upon the millimeter, but let's say it's like a 7. And the armor of the Tiger is, you know, 14. <laughs> so you're not going to hurt the tank, even with a critical hit. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's CE. So you hit the, uh, excuse me, you hit the vehicle, and then you apply the HEIFT firepower against the crew with a plus two modifier. And so that's what this table, you know, is indicating that that's what you would do. And you've got a better chance of perhaps stunning the crew with a bad morale check roll than you would have actually killing the tank. Right. And that's what this is implying. Mm -hmm. Now let's say you fire HE at one of those early war tanks that only have a, a uh, you know, thin armor, like one or something. Okay, so let's say your to kill number is seven with HE, and the armor is one. Okay, well now you do have a chance. And let's say you roll exactly equal to and you immobilize the AFV that had this armor factor of one. Yeah. Okay, and if you read footnote five, footnote five says, and again, we're assuming the crew was CE, if the, if the CE crew or armor leader is not affected by or passes any morale check caused by the collateral attack, then it must undergo an immobilization task check as well. So that's kind of a harder part that I had to research was, yeah. do you really suffer both things? Mm -hmm. And our interpretation of the people I talked to is, yes, but that's the order you do it in. Uh -huh. You first do the collateral attack, see what happens, right. then you take the immobilization task check, unless you failed it, then there's no need to, to do that. Because you would, you would be, um, I believe you would be stunned if you failed the morale check and the collateral attack, and the rules specifically say that you don't have to take a mobilization task check if you've already been stunned. So that's what this table is trying to indicate. The other interesting thing is uh, on the far right side, and this is a rare situation, but let's say you have infantry on foot, yeah, and you're fine. And an yeah. AFE is CE, and with that infantry on foot, you could fire on the infantry target type at that infantry on foot. And according to, as I interpreted the rules, if you hit that infantry on foot, the CE uh, AFE would then take a collateral attack with that IFT firepower, oh. mm -hmm. and that's what's trying to be applied over here on the far right hand side. So it's not often that you have that situation, but. Yeah. You know, usually if you're on the infantry target type, you can't affect the AFE at all. Right. Yeah, that's what you'd think naturally, right? So, this is the most common collateral attack situations, I call it. I'm not saying it's every, you know, the demolition charges and mouths and everything else you can think of. Yeah. But it's the most common. So, again, it, it helps uh, alleviate those collateral attack questions, I think, even though there are other tables and charts out there that try to explain this. Wow. So that's my explanation. Thank you. Very, Excellent. very and again, Very. we're going to get those posted up, right? Oh, yes. Very amazing. Now, you made a couple little changes uh, even today. Is that right? I so, even made a couple updates today. Just so to we'll have to figure updates. out how we how we keep people up to date with your various versions. Um, well, maybe make it you know, an So we're always posting the, the most current ones. But um, we'll figure that out. And it sounds like we That's needed, great stuff. Uh, thank you. And it sounds like, based on our conversation earlier, that we need an ice sangar Chart. Yeah, <laughs> and not to mention your basement bunker. Uh, yes, uh, 
Uh, I'll actually do the research on that one for yeah, you. Yeah, I'll email that email that table too. you. <laughs> well, my eyes are spinning around in my head on a couple of those last ones, though. That, those are really... Yeah, when you first look at it, it, it looks challenging. But remember, you're just crossing over the one column yeah. with another column. So you're right. looking at two elements in your situation and then coming up with the results. Yeah. Well, oh, you make it sound so easy, Dave. You I should know. be a teacher. Yeah. The, my trick is remembering that these charts exist. Yes. Because I have other charts in, in the back of my collection of, of extra information, and I do not use them enough. I will start flipping through the pages right away. So and I think the more often you flip through your charts, you're going to remember. Even ones yes. that came out with the official product in the last version of the rules, right. I think. Oh, yeah, the Panzerfaust charts exist now. You know, that little That's the section. point. The point. You know. yeah, there's a handy one, um, I believe, on the opposite side of the overrun flow chart, I believe where it shows how many movement factors you can move with various portage points of yes. with and without a leader, right. with and without oh, CX. Oh, that's official now? In the yes, it's yes. on the opposite oh. side of the uh, overrun flowchart. I've still been going to my amateur version I pulled off a line like four years ago. I've forgotten it exists. It's there, and it's correct, so as I understand it. And I, In fact, I was going to make a table and throw it in here, but I realized it was already made, yeah. so yeah, there was no point. The more, the better. So, um, yeah, I'll uh, keep adding to these, and if, if, if your listeners have uh, comments to make them better or make or another chart that perhaps they think would be useful, I'd be glad to hear it. Okay. That's great. There's well, a, there it is, everybody. Going to wrap up a show then, Jeff? Yeah, I think, it, I think we should. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Rich, thanks very much for making the trek out here on a snowy day and uh, enlightening us with these tables. It's my pleasure. Hopefully it's going to help everybody play better and have more fun with their squad later. So. Get your charts out, everybody. Yep, I hope so. Leave them around the house like I do. You never know when you got a spare minute. <laughs> you you can look at your glance charts. Glance at them and remember they're there and yeah. be familiar with it. So Yeah. So uh, great to see everybody, and uh, thanks for listening. And we like to say uh, roll low. And rally well. But, but not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. So what's the next chart? What about the next chart? We've show of Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Yes.